And I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 12. While you're turning to there, let me again just uh, thank you for the opportunity to be with you. I'm privileged to have been with you this morning, and uh, trust it will be a, a blessing to us as we look at a, a relatively short portion of the magnificent word of our great God this evening. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, Isaiah chapter 12, it's a relatively short chapter. I'd like to read the entire chapter. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you are angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I had... Uh, lunch with uh, Jerry and Monica and a few other people, and they asked me, why did I uh, entitle this uh, sermon fanaticism? Uh, some of them read through the chapter and didn't find the word fanatic or fanaticism in there. And I uh, was disciplined and didn't tell them why. But if you think of the word fanatic, it's a really kind of an innocuous word in many respects. Uh, our word fan, it seems, uh, can't, it's just a shortened term of the word fanatic. So if you're a fan of Beethoven or a fan of ballet or a fan of Rembrandt, that's just basically, apparently, from what they tell us, it's just a shortened form of the word fanatic. But my guess is that none of you have ever been called a fanatic. Because for the most part, that is a term used for religious fanatics, basically those people that uh, in the Middle East and those sort of things are, are doing bad things to people. But the word fanatic basically is a very, it, it's a very, it is really, if you look it up in a different dictionary, it would be something like this. It's not somebody that's a religious terrorist, although for the most part we've put that word to that sort of thing. But the definition of a fanatic is a person with a single-minded zeal or passion. It's a person with a single-minded zeal or passion. Now, if we take that definition, every one of us, if we belong to Jesus Christ, should be a fanatic, right? People with a single-minded passion or devotion. Uh, this morning in... Uh, the little Bible school class that you had at the beginning, I had the privilege of sharing my testimony. And some of you know uh, Dave Long. Dave Long and I were good friends. We knew each other in college. We lived together uh, for a year after college. And uh, when Dave was at a, a navigating training program for the summer, you had to go to these training programs. I think they lasted for eight weeks. Somebody can correct me on that if I'm wrong. But I think they lasted for eight weeks. And college students would gather and 
you have to go to a different city and find a job, and then you'd work during the day, and then at evening you'd have Bible studies or those sorts of things. And uh, Dave was unable to find a job at this particular training program that he attended, so he and a friend of his, uh, his friend had some experience with roofing, and uh, they decided to try to get jobs doing some roofs over the summer. And they called their company, are you ready for this? The Shingle-Minded Roofing Company. Uh, the idea of having a single-mindedness is good. So we should all be fanatics. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the Apostle Paul said of his life, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, my life's not important as long as I can fulfill the mission of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to propose to you this morning is that this passage gives us uh, two areas where we should be fanatics about. I'll give them to you in a moment. But first of all, it starts out saying, in that day you will say. And we have to ask ourselves, what is that day that, is, that the prophet is referring to at this point? Well, that there's a passage here that begins in Isaiah. It really begins with uh, chapter 9 and goes through chapter 12. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 9, you will see a, a few things about the reign of the Messiah. It's a passage inserted here at the beginning of the book of Isaiah about the reign of the Messiah. So just look with me at a few verses in, in chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, this passage I'm coming to, we often read it around the, the time of, that we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Continue on looking at uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, to us a son is given. And again, a familiar passage. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we see this idea of the reign of the Messiah. Just continue to look at this a little bit. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 11, you'll see the same thing. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his root shall bear, roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And, it shall, and it shall, his delight shall be in the law of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see. So this whole thing is talking about the, the reign of the Messiah. Look at that chapter 10. In that day, of, of, uh, I'm sorry, verse 10 of chapter 11. In that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. So this passage here is talking about the reign of the Messiah. And twice here in Isaiah chapter 12, we have this phrase. Uh, 
Verse 1, you shall say in that day. And in verse 4, you shall say in that day. And it is talking about the reign of our Messiah. And so these are things that apply to us because it's talking. Isaiah was talking, of course, future about the Messiah, but now we get to look back at the reign of the Messiah. And so there's two things I would like to propose to you this evening that you need to be fanatical about. The first one is that we need to be fanatical because of the reign of the Messiah to express your thanksgiving to God. You need to be fanatical because of the reign of the Messiah to express your thanksgiving to God. Again, if you have your Bibles open, notice what it says. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. We need to be fanatical about giving our thanks to God. So how fanatical are you about gratitude, about giving thanks to God? The Bible says that in that day, we will give thanks to the Lord. And notice what it says. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Isn't this a great picture of the Messiah? You were angry with me, but your anger is turned away so that you might comfort me. You know that uh, twice in, in uh, 1 John, the word propitiation is used. Now, boys and girls, that's a big word. Uh, we don't use it in our common everyday language anymore. But in Isaiah, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The idea of propitiation is very simply the idea of the turning away of wrath by means of a sacrifice. And that's what God has done for us, right? Now, boys and girls, you, many of you are young, and you have probably had the privilege of receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord in a very early life, or early age, and many of you may not have any, rem- any remembrance of not being able to know Jesus, of not ever walking with him. But even in your case, in the case of those of us that came to faith later in life, we have to recognize that the righteous wrath of God was rightly upon us because we had rebelled against the will of God. But Isaiah says that we need to give thanks to God Because although you're angry with me, your anger is turned away that you might come. His anger has been turned away by the sacrifice of Jesus. And now we have the comfort of Jesus. Now, if you uh, go on and and look at uh, the rest of the, the first section here, you'll see that there's three reasons why we need to be giving our thanks to God, why we need to be expressing our thanks to God. And look, look at, they're given to us in verse two. The first one is, the Lord God is my salvation. Uh, the second one is that the Lord God is my strength. And the Lord God is my song. And then it wraps it up there at the end of verse 2. And he has become my salvation. Coming back to the first one. So we're to be consistent. We're to be passionate about our giving thanks to God. For three things. 
We'll look at these. The first one that we want to look at this morning is that God is my strength. God is my strength. This, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I had the privilege of uh, going to the uh, White Lake Covenanter Camp. Now, the White Lake Camp is the equivalent of uh, Cover McCoy for you folks, but it's for the presbyteries out further east. And what the interesting thing about the Covenanter camp is that uh, it's really run by the youth. They plan the program. And, and so this year, the uh, <clears throat> talks were on biblical themes from the Lord of the Rings. Kind of interesting, huh? And they asked me to come out and give one of the presentations. And so uh, I chose the idea of power through weakness. Uh, some of you have probably read J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. That uh, was the most read novel in the uh, last part of the last century, and at least in the English language. And uh, when Tolkien was trying to get his uh, work published, he wrote to the publisher and said that the book is about, quote, the ennoblement of the ignoble. You know, in other words, the exaltation of the weak, the exaltation of the humble. And uh, Paul tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 that three times he wanted to have this thorn in the flesh removed. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but God gave him a thorn in the flesh because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations to keep him from exalting himself. And so Paul prayed three times that it would be taken away. But there is never any indication they ever prayed a fourth or fifth time about it. Because after that third time, it tells us that he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And one of the disciplines that I believe we Christians need to know, we live in a society where, you know, we're... Uh, self-made people and stuff like that were to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I think we need to learn to boast in our weaknesses. Because when we boast in our weaknesses, then the power of Christ dwells in us. The Apostle Paul understood this. He wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 12. He also wrote about it in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, in my first defense, no one supported me, but all turned away from me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the gospel would be fully proclaimed. You see, the Lord was the one that came alongside Paul and strengthened him. Paul recognized that he needed to be content in his weaknesses, in his insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If I were to ask you, how have you seen the power of God in your life this past week? How many of you would be able to give me a concrete answer? You see, God comes alongside his people. We, see, you, I, we sing it often in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you do here, but the last part of Psalm 68, God gives strength to his people. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we need to rejoice and we need to give thanks for the fact that God is our strength. And then the next one we see here is that uh, we are to give thanks to God because he has become our song. What do you sing about? 
See, generally we tend to sing about things that we like, right? Things that are important to us. We sang this morning from Psalm 59, and it says that uh, in the morning he's going to sing of God's loving kindness. What do you sing about? What do you sing about in the morning? What do you sing about in the evening? You see, we tend to think about the things that are, we tend to sing about the things that are important to us. Do you sing about the Lord's loving kindness? Do you sing about his faithfulness? The Lord God has become, he is our song, and he's become our strength. I will sing to the Lord, Psalm 104 says, as long as I live. And again, let me ask the boys and girls here. Have you made that commitment that you're going to sing to the Lord as long as you live? You see, God has become our song. And then the one that's repeated twice here, it's the first part of verse 1, and the first part of verse 2, and the, the last phrase of verse 2, is we're to give thanks to God because he has become our salvation. In Acts chapter 4, it tells us that uh, there is no other name. There's salvation in no one else. Speaking about Jesus, there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. It is only in Jesus Christ. And we're to give thanks to God for that salvation. That he has sent his son Jesus in the likeness of human flesh to live a perfect life, to die a death he did not deserve to die, but then to be raised again on the third day so that he might offer to you, to all those who have put their faith and trust in him, so I'm able to offer you the new life. And part of that new life is that it says in verse 1, we receive his comfort because the death of Christ was that sacrifice that turned away the wrath of God because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So these are the three reasons why we're to give thanks. He's become our salvation, he's become our strength, and he's our song. Now look at verse 3. For with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, we'll draw water from the wells of salvation. I think it's important for Christian people to understand that we do not have to, as the world will try to teach you, that we do not have to try to manufacture joy. The world is going to say to you, uh, think on lovely things. Think up things that, are, that you appreciate. Think, think of things that, uh, that you greatly enjoy and just sit down and meditate upon those things for 10 minutes a day. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not opposed to that at all. It might be a good discipline for some of you. But we do not have to manufacture joy. All we have to do is draw water from the springs of salvation. So let's say that, uh, let's say that uh, we decided to go uh, take a bucket brigade. And... Um, go down to the White River, and we're going to have a, fill up a bucket, and we're going to pass it all along, and we're going to take that, those buckets and pass them to the Geist Reservoir. Anybody want to join me in that project after the worship service this evening? You see, the White River is still going to continue to flow, despite whatever amount of water we try to take out of it. Psalm 36 tells us that we can drink 
of the rivers of his delight. It's not a stream. It's a river. We can drink from the rivers full of his delight. So we need to be fanatical. We need to be excited. We need to be consistent about the idea of giving thanks to God. How is your thanksgiving to God? The story was a famous missionary in China, and he was going through a difficult time in his ministry, and he decided to go to a little mission house, a several days journey, hard journey, to get to this little mission house, hoping to find some refreshment and some encouragement. And he walked into the mission house. He saw, he, he saw that somebody had written on the board, on the chalkboard there at the entrance, have you tried praise? He just turned around, walked back out, went back to his mission station, began giving thanks to God and giving praise to God. And things in his ministry began to change around. I don't know the situation that you folks are facing, but I want to ask you this. Have you tried praise? Have you tried thanksgiving? We're to be diligent, fanatical about our praise. Now, if you notice again, it says in verse 4, and you shall say in that day, as it says that in in verse 1, you shall say in that day, and the next thing that we need to realize is that because of the reign of the Messiah, we need to be excited and fanatical, if you will, about expressing his testimony to the world. We're to be excited and fanatical about expressing our thanksgiving to God. And we're also now to be excited about expressing his thanksgiving, his testimony to the world. I heard that uh, the little this morning, I forget who was up here, uh, but uh, they had the, the little cards that you have, uh, the little business cards about the gospel presentation. I'd encourage you to take that, uh, maybe put them on your desk at work, maybe have them on your coffee table at your house, and people ask you what they are, well, go ahead and take one. It's a, it's a small way for you to express the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philip Schaff, the famous church historian, said that the early Christians would tell their story of what Christ has done in their life in the ways that a mariner would tell of his rescue from a shipwreck. You see, the early church understood that they were rescued. And just as a a sailor would tell of his rescue from a shipwreck, they were the early church that people would tell of their rescue that came to their life because of Jesus Christ. And so look at what it says here about Jesus Christ. Give thanks, call upon his name, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. When's the last time that you told somebody that Jesus is Lord? When's the last time you told yourself that Jesus is Lord? Shortly after I became a Christian, somebody told me a little discipline that I have never been able to do. I've never forgotten it, but I've never been able to do it. And that little discipline was that if you're especially discouraged, try saying Jesus is Lord slowly and meditatively ten times. Now, I've never been able to do it. I'm not saying that I've never been especially discouraged or especially disheartened. But every time I'd start down that little exercise, when I get to about three or four, Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. A smile comes on my face. We need to tell that to ourselves, that Jesus is Lord, but we also need to tell it to the world. Again, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. That's his testimony. It tells us here that, that we're to sing praises to him, for he has done glorious things. Thanks to his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Are you able to do that? Now, the New American Standard says here, make them remember that his name is exalted. I think that's an interesting phrase. Make them remember. So, uh, now don't leave me up here by myself this evening. I need some help. I need somebody here that's not too bright. Now, it can't be Jim or Cindy, because we know they're bright, so it can't be them. Uh, so how about, so, you can be bright, but just bear with me. Pretend like you're not very bright. Mike, you want to you help me out? All right, so Mike, Mike has testified before all of you that he is not very bright. Not related to Jim or Cindy, so he's not very bright. Uh, so I want to show you how excellent of a teacher I am, okay? So let me say something, then I want to ask you a few questions, see if you can repeat after me, okay? Everybody ready? Okay, two times two is four, two times three is six, two times four is eight, two times five is ten. Now, okay, so remember I'm an excellent teacher. Okay, so now let's see if Mike, by his own admission, he's not very bright, can do this. Mike, what is two times two? What is two times three? What is two times five? Okay? He did that last one without even having to take his, you know, start counting. Okay. So either Mike is a very exceptional student, or I'm an extremely exceptional teacher, because he got that. Right? Or when Mike was young, somebody drilled those things into his life. Day after day in first and second grade. He could probably even tell us what three times seven is because he had that repetition, repetition day after day. Make them remember that his name is exalted. How do we do that? How do we make people to remember something? By repetition, by repetition. Make them remember that his name is exalted. And if more and more of us are saying that to people, they're going to have to remember that, right? Make known his deeds among the, nation, among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. It's repeated repetition that forces us to remember things. And how do you make people to remember something? Well, only you can't make people remember something except by continued reputation. And so this is what we have Proclaim that his name is exalted. All across Marion County, all across this state, from the region to the Ohio River, we need to be proclaiming that his name is exalted, making people remember that Jesus is exalted. We need to be fanatical about that. We need to be fanatical about explaining his testimony to the world, expressing his testimony to the world. And then just look at these last two verses. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. 
Shout and sing for joy what happens in Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I love that phrase, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Don't you love that phrase? Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. When you go through the history of the Old Testament, and you'll see many battles that the people of God had to fight. It was the ones where they relied on, for the most part, the ones on where they relied upon God. That's when they were victorious. The times when they were living in rebellion and were rejecting God and were turning aside to other gods, to other nations to be their help, for the most part, that's when they, they lost the battles. But when they realized that God was in their midst, that God was the one that went before them, that God was the one that marched out before their armies, they were victorious. And so we have to rejoice and get excited about this idea that great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Are you conscious of the fact that God is with you? You see, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Are you conscious of the fact that Jesus is with you? And we can have this confidence and this joy because of the power of God, because of the promises of God, and because of the presence of God. Are you conscious of these things? The power of God. We talked about that when we talked about him being our strength and our song and our salvation. The promises of God. Some of you may know the name Jack Miller. He went by C. John Miller, many of the books that he wrote. Jack Miller was a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And he resigned from his professorship because he thought that the other professors were arrogant and impotent. They were prideful and they didn't have any power in their lives. I believe it was as a result from a grant from Eli Lilly, although I'm not sure about that, but I think it was from a grant from Eli Lilly. He took a sabbatical and went to, went to Spain and for three months did nothing but study the promises of God. Surprisingly, they invited him to come back to Westminster, even though he made a statement clear about his fellow professors. And it was saying the promises of God that made him realize that he was the one that was arrogant, that he was the one that was impotent, that was lacking power. So my friends, what are the promises of God that are important to you right now? Maybe after you get done, after you get done here, you might find a friend and just say, What's the promise that you're claiming right now? What is the promise that you're claiming right now? You see, it's because of the power of God, the promises of God, and the presence of God that we can be confident that he is with us. And great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So, my friends, we start out by talking about fanaticism. And in reality, if... We think of that fanaticism as just a person with an undying passion, with a single-minded passion. Then every one of us in this room, if we know Jesus Christ, need to be fanatics. I believe we need to be fanatics about expressing our thanksgiving to God, and we need to be fanatics about expressing his testimony to the world. Which of those areas do you need? 
to work on? And how will you go about doing it? Because you see, great for you is the Holy One of Israel. Do you believe that? He has done great things. Let us give thanks to him and let us proclaim among the nations the great and marvelous things that he has done. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for us in Jesus. And, Lord, we know that if we could possibly count them, all the things that you've done for us, all the thoughts that you have toward us, if we could possibly remember all those things, they would outnumber the stars. Things that it's impossible for us to count. We do just want to say thank you that you have comforted us, that you are our strength, that you are our song, and that you are our salvation. Thank you, God. And equip us and encourage us to rely on your promises and your presence and your power as we seek to proclaim the great news that Jesus saves throughout the world. Thank you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.